Hi, welcome back to Central Line. For this week's episode, we have a special treat. We've joined forces with My Veterinary Life, the AVMA's wonderful podcast hosted by Drs. Marcy Kirk and Annie Chavant. And we thought it would be fun to get together virtually and just have a chat about some of the things that we get questions about all the time, like how we got to be sitting in front of these microphones talking to you, uh, what the heck we do all day at our jobs besides podcasting, and what it's like to be a vet working not in a vet hospital every day. I get that question a lot. Like, how do I get a job like that? So uh, we, we thought we'd dive into that a little bit, and we hope you enjoy this one. I would love to hear your feedback. So please send me an email at podcast at aha.org and let me know if you'd like to hear more like this or if there's something else you'd like to hear more of. I'm always open to your feedback and I really appreciate it when people reach out. So please do send me a message and let me know what you think. And if you're not a listener of My Veterinary Life already, please head over there. You can find them on all major podcast platforms too and give their show a listen. All right. Welcome to this exciting episode. We are doing a Podcasters Unite sort of crossover episode with My Veterinary Life Podcast and Central Line. We'll do the proper introductions, but I'll start. I'm Dr. Marcy Kirk. I'm one of the co-hosts of My Veterinary Life Podcast, and we're joined by our other co-host, Dr. Annie Chavant. Hello, everybody. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am super excited to be here with you all today. Joining us also, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, I'm Katie Berlin. I'm the host of AHA's Central Line podcast, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm super excited to do this collaborative episode. Very excited. Yeah, we had a whole brainstorming session, and there are so many ways that we could collaborate. And I th we'll probably get to many of them, but we thought, and Katie, this was your suggestion, there's always a lot of questions about non-clinical careers and how we, what, what it's like, what the day-to-day -day is like, how we got there. And everyone, what we're finding when we talk to people, everyone's story is different. So I, Katie's been a guest on the show before, and I know we've talked about this, but we thought it might be just a good idea to just kind of resurface this conversation and this discussion. So we're, we're just going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about what options are available, how we got to where we are, how we're navigating all of this. Katie, do you want to, do you want to start? But maybe first start with what you did in clinical medicine and how the, the first bits of transition looked like. Sure. I was a general practitioner. Um, I have an acupuncture certification as well that I got later uh, in my practice career. And I am an 09 Cornell grad. Um, and actually, it was my second career. I worked for a couple of years in the art museum world before going to vet school. So I was one of those kids that wanted to be a vet. And then certain things happened that got me kind of disillusioned with the ideas. So I had an, I went to get my um, liberal arts degree and really fell in love with art, um, but the museum world was not for me. So I'm definitely a person who likes to use both sides of my brain. Vet med was definitely something I could see not getting bored with, you know, and feeling challenged forever, which I wasn't seeing in my, my art museum job. So I worked for 12 years in general practice. I worked in both corporate and privately owned practices, had a kind of a variety of work experiences. I There were times that I loved it. I loved parts of it all the time, but I'm a person who likes um, a little bit of routine and I like to know what's coming. I'm not definitely an adrenaline junkie who like lives for the next emergency to walk in. And I just didn't feel like it was ever something I got up in the morning was like super jazzed to go do. You know, I wasn't one of those people who's like working extra shifts just because. Um, and I just, 
I burned out kind of quickly uh, and then discovered a whole community of people who also felt stressed out sometimes by practice and talked about it and also maybe had other things in their lives that they liked just as much as being a vet or more so. And um, so I really connected with them like on social media. Uh, I joined the Uncharted Veterinary Community, which is Andy Rourke's um, community and conference. And I met some amazing people that way. Um, but the real thing that opened the door for me for other stuff was I wrote this blog post um, one day. I just sat down and wrote it. I had gotten hurt and I had to take a little bit of time off and then go back part-time. And I um, I realized how much I loved other things and that it was actually okay to like work to live and not live to work as a vet, even though people were always calling it your calling and all this stuff. And so I wrote this blog post about that and I sent it to drandywork.com. This is before I'd ever met any of them. And um, they published it. And so it came on social media and I was excited. And uh, that introduced me to Andy and to a whole bunch of other writers that write in the vet space. And the editor at that time was Jessica Vogelsang, who she was working for, for Andy Work as his editor and picking what went up on his site. And she is now my boss at aha. Um, and we just sort of stayed in touch that whole time. So that's the intro version of how I ended up working at aha and not in a vet hospital. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Just trying something new and putting it out there and seeing if it fits you too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also important because some, sometimes I don't know how you guys feel. Sometimes the grass always seems greener <laughs> on the yes. other side and, um, that might not always be the case. So, um, I appreciate you sharing that. For sure. And there are certain things that I miss a lot about practice, you know, like right now I could pick up a relief shift and I probably will start to do that now that I'm kind of settled, but I miss the schedule, you know, the regular schedule, I, even though I like routine, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a eight to five routine. <laughs> and I miss having my like weekday off and my, you know, mm. being able to like go to the gym at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning because I don't start until noon. I miss stuff like that. Um, mm. You know, now I kind of am working the same office schedule as a lot of other people in an office, but I work more hours now than I ever did as a vet, except for maybe my first couple of years out. And um, I'm so much happier. I I'm, I missed the patients and the client yeah. interactions. And maybe, maybe we'll go around and like talk about how we found our jobs and, mm -hmm. and what that transition looks like. And then we'll talk about like what our days look like. That's the most, I don't know about you guys, the most common question, like, like what do you do? So like, what do you yes. do all day? And I'm like, I don't know how to explain that. Um, so <laughs> Annie, how, how did you find your job? Like, and what did the transition to AVMA look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So prior to AVMA, I mentioned on the podcast before, so I was in equine private practice. So I did an equine sports medicine focused internship in Virginia for a year and then came up to Maryland and uh, joined a single doctor practice. So first associate in a single doctor practice for three years. Um, and I, I'm with you, Katie. Like I, there are parts that I loved. Like I loved practicing medicine. I loved the clients. I loved the patients. Don't even get me started about horses. I'll just take up the entire podcast. Um, I also, and I liked the kind of like flow and dynamic of practice too, like getting in your truck and being out in the elements and like the physical nature of equine practice. Um, but there, there were a couple things that made me start looking for other opportunities. So not necessarily the one that I'm in. Um, that that one. Well, we'll get to that part of the story. But I there were things 
So one of the things that I was having a, a hard time with was I was kind of missing the the people of veterinary medicine, I would say, and I couldn't put my finger on it for a while. But you know, being in the truck all day with j- just my tech or a tech and maybe one student, like I missed collaborating with other veterinarians, and I missed vet students and that kind of like mentoring relationship and just like the energy that you get when you meet somebody else who's really excited about something else in vet med. Um, and so I knew I had that for my internship where there were multiple doctors in the practice and we were, we had a clinic and we were kind of collaborating all the time. And so there was that. And then and to be perfectly transparent, the the on-call in a small ambulatory practice was difficult for me long-term. I would say it was amazing short term in terms of being a new doctor and getting that experience and and getting out there and kind of proving yourself proving yourself to yourself that you can handle these emergencies and that kind of thing but then when i look down the road of you know 20 or 25 years from now is that going to be sustainable for me at this current rate and so when i had some hesitations about that and then plus missing the people I had some ideas about what I wanted to do. I looked into doing the ABVP certification. So kind of taking a deep dive into practice because I love school. I just, I really do. I'm one of those people that like, <laughs> would you go back to vet, vet school? Absolutely. In a heartbeat. Same. Totally Same. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So like get some additional training, um, potentially go back into academia, maybe do like an equine primary care rotation or something like that. Um, or go uh, take a look at a position at a bigger practice. So one that has an internship program where I could be a mentor vet there and then get that collaboration with other vets, other specialists. Uh, so I, I called up a mentor who had some experience in both of those worlds and she kind of listened to me, teased it all out and was very kind um, and, and offered that ear. But then at the end of the conversation, she also threw out that this AVMA student initiatives job happens to be open and also that she thought that it would be a really good fit for me. And I do really like to emphasize the both parts of that because one, it was the awareness of the position, but then also it was the fact that she kind of put her opinion out there too and said that she thought that I would be a good fit. Like it wasn't just a, you know, slide the paper across the desk. Here's this option. It was, here's this option and a vote of confidence for you being good at it. And so I took a look at that. Um, sat on it for a little while, talked to talk to my my friends and support network and family about the the decision because I honestly had never imagined myself not in practice. And so that was it was hard to wrap my head around. Um mm-hmm. you can't see this on the podcast, but both Marcy and Katie are nodding. Yeah. <laughs> like feel that moment, right? Like it's an like, identity crisis. Really. It totally, totally is. Yeah. For sure. For and sure. And not just for you, for your friends and family too. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's also a great point. Also a great yeah. point. Um, but I decided, you know, why close yourself off to any of these opportunities? So I, totally. I put my application in, um, still wasn't hundred percent sure about it. Um, but fortunately the ABMA has a very long interview process. <laughs> <laughs> we joke about it often, uh, um, among colleagues, but no it, one's taking those through... jobs out of whim, right? <laughs> no, exactly. <that's> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Through those like multiple interviews and multiple months of, of getting to know different people on the team and learning more about the position, like that started getting me more and more excited about what I would be doing on the student initiatives team. And I'm sure we'll talk about the, the day-to-day later, but it really was, it really was a, a mentoring and, and networking opportunity that you did just through those connections learned about the position. And I know 
when I was a student at least, or probably even before this happened to me, like people would always say in conferences and talks of like, your network is so important and you just never know what will come down the pipe. And it's like, no, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> and also like every introverted vet on the planet is like networking, like that's a dirty word. I don't want to talk <laughs> about that. That means like standing around at one of those high top tables and talking yeah. to people you don't know, like it's very uncomfortable. That's really not the case though. Yeah. Correct. Networking is more about relationships than schmoozing. Um, yes. Yeah. At least in this industry. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. How long were you in practice before you joined AVMA? For three years. So okay. four plus the internship. I started AVMA um, mid pandemic, June of 2020. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good times. Good time to go remote. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's funny. And that's actually when I started going remote too, is in March of 2020, I onboarded at Clinician's Brief, which was the part-time job I had before. Aha. Um, like the, the week that everybody went into lockdown, it was pretty nuts, but I was still going to the clinic then. So that was pretty crazy, but that's a cool story. And, and a little bit less common, I feel like to see, to talk to horse, like equine and, you know, mixed animal vets just because first of all, there aren't as many of you. <laughs> and second of all, I feel like all of the materials, the content, the stuff that comes across my feed anyway, is like aimed at small animal people mm -hmm. because that's who I know and because it's a dramatic majority. And so people just sort of, their mind goes there, but it's really cool to hear about somebody who came from the equine world and is working. And now we're all here together. Absolutely. What about you, Marcy? Round out, round yeah. out our introductions. Yes. How did you yeah. get to I mean, I, you guys hit so many points, like the identity crisis and all of it, you know, and I've said this on multiple podcasts. And when I talk to people, I wanted to be a vet from the time I was little, but then I failed to really set goals or plan past graduation. The goal was always just graduation. And I had no idea what I wanted after that. And I do think that impacted me because I am very much a goal oriented person and so, you know, but you think like, oh, you're busy, like learning to be a vet in real life and, and things like that. So I was in small animal private practice for five years. And my first job, I was really lucky. There were three other veterinarians. Um, I did have to do surgery and I did have to do on call, which are things that I didn't love. But if you think about it, I was only on call a quarter of the time that it was it at the time it felt like a ton <laughs> looking back on it. I'm like, oh, that really wasn't that much. Um, but the surgeries are what got me really down because I love talking and collaborating. And in surgery, I felt totally isolated, even though there's someone monitoring the patient and things like that. It just, I just didn't feel like I had the time to think things through as much as I would have liked. So surgery was never, and I knew that in vet school. Um, so then I took a, trying to kind of navigate all of this, I took another job um, that had no on-call and no surgery. And so I was like, this'll, this'll fix it. Like this'll, this'll be the thing, you know? And in between there, I had actually applied to the first ABMA student initiatives um, role and didn't, did not even get a phone interview, which was the right call. Um, so yeah. it, it's really <laughs> funny to look back on that now though. So I was maybe two and a half or three, I think they, I think at that point you needed two or three years of experience. I can't remember. And so like I met the minimum and so didn't, you know, moved on to this new clinic in a new location. It was like a fresh start. It was, and it was really nice. It was in um, Champaign-Urbana, which was where my husband and I went to school and like, we loved it. And that was really fun. So all that was good, but still wasn't hitting at work as much as I wanted to, like was still feeling stressed, but for different reasons. 
And so actually I, the, my network of friends, we were always just always looking like, you know, just always having a pulse on things. And one of my friends sent me an industry um, position that she had seen. She's like, this sounds like something you'd be interested in. So I went through the entire interview process for this industry position. It was going to require a relocation. And I did get offered the position, but it was like right when we were kind of settling into this new clinic to this new house and it would have required my husband to get a new job. And it just the offer wasn't quite what we would have needed for all of that. And what I what really appealed to me about that position is their goal was to get someone early in their career so they could move them up through the, and I'm like, oh, goals, you know, checklist. Like this sounds amazing. It was an like, <laughs> organization that I have a lot of respect and love for. So I actually like, after I told them no, I hung up the phone. I was like, started crying so much because I was so stressful. And I had this vision that like, once you say no to something, like you get blacklisted and like, nobody wants to talk to you. You have this red mark, you know, this mark against you and that's it. Like now I, I'm, I'm in clinical medicine the rest of my life, you know? Um, but then a year later or so, one of my friends sent me the position for, um, recent graduate initiatives at the AVMA. And I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll give it a try. I mean, I, seeing a callback the last time. So, um, but then it just kind of kept, you know how, I don't know about you guys, but things just feel like they start to fall into place. Um, so I kept getting further and further in the interview process and it was going to require a relocation, but at this time we had a lot of friends in the area and one of them happened to have an opening and had already asked before I even started this interview process, um, if my husband wanted to come work I was part of his team in this financial division. And, and he's like, no, like Marcy doesn't have a job up there. No. So then as I'm getting further along in this process, he called his, our friend up and was like, is that, is that position still open? And it was. So things are just starting to fall into place. And um, so I was offered the position and able to accept it at the AVMA and give it a try. So um, it was, it was really exciting. It was stressful and exciting and identity crisis <laughs> and, and yeah. relocating and all of that. I love that you, um, A, kind of had the guts to go for a job at the place that hadn't even given you a call um, when you applied the first time, mm -hmm. because a lot of us are so like goal oriented. Like you said, you know, we like to check things off on a list and like move up and do the things and, you know, we don't handle rejection well. And so it's like, if somebody rejects us one time, we're like, what? they're dead to me, you know, but I love that you you gave it another chance and said, well, I'm a different person now. I'm in a different place now. And um, and maybe it'll work out. And then things started to line up. And I love that too. That is such a great yeah. feeling. And I will say, actually, the episode that's coming out, well, we're recording this a little early, but I it's coming out in February. It's with Dr. Kim Farina. And she makes such a good point. She says it very bluntly, but she said, like, people don't care about you. And she's like, I don't mean that in a bad way. But right. That job application was the center of my world for a very long time, but not a blip. Like people probably do not remember that I applied for that first job, right? right. <laughs> so like it, it probably didn't even occur to them that I applied for a second job. And if it did, I mean, it, it could show again different person, different skill set, different role. Uh, so that's I. I talk to people all the time that are interested in coming to work for the AVMA, and they're like, "I've applied before," and I'm like, "I would just apply again." Like, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> you've learned more. They've learned more. Like we, it just you never know what's going to happen. And it, it so much of it depends too on who's out there looking at that time. Like, you know, we talk a lot about how there are so many other things you can do besides clinical practice. And that is true. And I, I want to say this before I forget it, which is that the knowledge and experience and just like 
general awareness of issues in the veterinary space that you have, anybody listening, that you have from being just in a vet clinic, in an in a truck, driving to a farm, you know, these things from being in vet school and talking to your vet friends and your technician friends, these are things that you cannot buy. So you, this experience is something that you should never undervalue. And so if you want to go and do something besides clinical practice or dabble and see if there's something out there for you, and you're like, but I'm not qualified. If you've been working in veterinary medicine, you have a qualification that people will pay money to have on their team, part-time, full-time, it depends on the job, but like people who can write or speak or be on a call and talk to sponsors or teammates or marketing people who don't have a clue how to market to veterinary teams will absolutely value your input and want you there. So I just wanted to say that because I know I didn't feel qualified for any of this <laughs> when, yep. when I started to think about leaving practice. I was like, what qualification? You know, I can write. I, I'm a liberal arts major. Like that is to count for something. But a lot of people can write, you know, and um, and you cannot undervalue the fact that you understand a language that most people do not understand, but that you must speak in order to market effectively or um, provide initiatives that really serve that that industry, the veterinary industry. Katie, I'm glad you brought that up because we become an echo chamber because we hang out with a lot of veterinary people and they're Mm -hmm. all very smart, speak the same language that we do as far as medical terms and things. And we forget that there is a subset of the population outside of this that does not have the knowledge of these inner workings of the the veterinary field and and medical field. I was watching Mm -hmm. a show on Netflix I think it was called from scratch and there was a medical issue going on and like watching them navigate that. I was thinking to myself, if I was in that situation, I would know what questions to ask. I would know what was going on. So already it's 10 times less scary Yeah. than, and, and, and I, it just made me realize, wow, we do have these skills. And that's one thing that I love the veterinary career center that ABMA has talks about how you can look at some of the skills you have as a veterinarian and how you can translate that on a resume. And what I like about it is I think it gives you ideas of things you could explore that maybe you hadn't thought about, like writing or working with other organizations and things. Yeah, totally. Uh, And marketing is a big one. Like, I don't know how much, how much contact you have with, um, with, AVMA's marketing of any kind of initiatives. I'm sure AVMA is much bigger than AHA. So I'm sure that there's different aspects of marketing for different aspects of the organization. But, you know, our marketing department, they're a great group of people. Um, and they don't have, with some minor exceptions, they don't have veterinary experience. And so my job as as content strategist is pretty much to bridge that gap, you know, between our marketing team and the content that our content team, who's really talented and creative, is putting out because that content is not useful unless it's dressed in a way that veterinary teams will relate to and understand and feel like AHA understands if it comes out and it's marketed more towards pet owners or towards, you know, um, a, a, a level that doesn't suit the needs of the audience it's aimed for, um, it's not going to get it's not going to resonate. And that is a really, really important aspect of a lot of the jobs of veterinarians that I know, veterinarians and technicians that I know who aren't in practice is to be a subject matter expert. And like, we do not think of ourselves as subject matter experts, but we are. 
we know that subject matter better than anybody outside the industry mm. um, could possibly know it. Um, so yeah, it, it, it matters so much, but I, I feel like the two of you, you know, you found this job sort of accidentally, um, you know, just sort of like showed up at the right time. Did you have time where you were like perusing the internet for non-clinical jobs? Like every day you looked in your browser and like had little tabs open and you were like, do they have a job open? Do they have a job open? For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like that was one of my, I would say ineffective, but mechanisms I tried to use for coping with stress um, was I would just search the job boards and say like, well, what is out there? And then if nothing's not appealing, I'm like, well, this is, (laughs) so you stay, you know? Um, And jokingly, um, I would go to lunch with one of my colleagues. And if it was a really stressful day, we would, you know, say like, what could we do outside of the profession that like we could do effectively? Like, you know, and and Mm -hmm. this is, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm minimizing anything, but I was like, man, I could go like stock some shelves. I would love to organize some shelves, like and just like see something <laughs> that's work all at the messy. Container store, right? Like see something that's messy and fix it. Like <laughs> because I think that's what I was struggling with too. Is you know how many cases do we actually get to fix? And, and yeah. the answer is a lot more than I actually think. But it's you don't get to see it, right? They don't usually call back if it's fixed. So you see a lot of rechecks. I felt like that. So there was just times where I was thinking like, I'm not fixing the things. Um, and of course there's, um, you know, conditions that aren't going to be fixed that are going to be managed instead. So just a mind shift, but there were times where I, that was, that was something I would do regularly was check the veterinary career center and put on, I I liked the filters. That was nice, but some Mm -hmm. of the bigger companies, um, like that have parent companies, uh, so I think of like, uh, you know, if, if, if like Colgate, you know, there's a subsidiary of that or Mars, there's a sub- subsidiary, like they have their own job boards and they're, I'm going to be honest with you, I think they're challenging to navigate. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I'm so familiar with the AVMA ones and I was before I started working here, but it, it was always challenging. One of my friends just had a knack for it. And that's how I, you know, got connected with that industry opening. Um, but that's where your network comes in. So if you start to know people that work at those places, they can help kind of ping you when those things come up. For sure. Yeah. So Annie, since you kind of stumbled upon this job, I'm assuming you didn't go through the phase where you had like a bunch of tabs open and you were checking for industry jobs all the time. Um, just hoping that you'll find something. <laughs> that would be a correct assumption. Yeah. So I <laughs> um, did not peruse the, the job search boards. I'd say I, I was still looking, but I'd say it was more like conversationally. Um, so I was talking to people who I knew in the different areas that I thought that I might want to be in. So in academia, in these larger private practices, uh, even even in industry too, just trying to keep my options open. But I, I never quite got to the, to the job board section. Um, so there's lots of ways to pursue your, your career search if you uh, you've kind of identified those sort of if you've identified the things that you're looking for and the things that you may be trying to minimize, I think there's, there's, once you've got that, there's lots of ways to to find what you're looking for. And like, I, I also want to stress too, that, um, you know, if you hadn't gotten the AVMA job, you know, somebody gave it to you and said, Hey, I think you would be right for this. I think it would be a good fit. That's not a guarantee that you're going to get the job. But as you progress through the interview process, you kind of got attached to the idea, right? And so if you had not gotten it in the end, that probably would have started a process for you. Would that be correct? 
like it of saying, okay, well, if that's not the job, then what would be right for me? Yeah, absolutely. You very accurately kind of pinpointed that experience. Like it, it was at first just kind of the like, let's put something out there and see mm-hmm. how it goes. The more that I knew about it, I realized that that like there definitely came a very specific point where I was like, man, if I don't get this, I think I'm going to be pretty sad. Um, yeah. Because I that I'd already gotten to kind of meet some of the pe- these people on the interview and got really excited about certain things that I knew I would be doing as part of the the description, and so. Um, and I think also kind of more through that process, solidifying the things, like, like I just said, the things that I liked and the things that I might want to minimize in private practice, it gave me a clear picture of what I'd be looking for either with or without this, this AVMA job. Um, but of course was very excited to, to receive the call, um, and say that I got the offer, but I think that that would have sparked, uh, uh, a, per- a peruse on the, on the job yeah. boards for sure. With a, with a clearer purpose than right. like, uh-huh. I think if I started there, like, and, and Marcy was saying like the filters were really helpful. I wouldn't even have known where to start where I was like in my phase of exploration, but kind of yeah. after going through the process, I would have had a clearer picture. Mm-hmm. I think what and, you did was so smart too, Annie. Like, I just want to point out, like talking to the people for jobs you might be interested in is key. Like here and not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying like, don't, I'm not saying like, oh, so you can like dig up dirt on the organization. No, it's like, what is it like? What are the, you know, what strengths do you bring to this? What do you enjoy about it? Like understanding that. So you can start thinking about, you know what, actually that's like, I found, you know why the student initiative job would not be great for me. I get really stressed out about parking and like figuring out where to park at like vet schools would stress me out. I went all four years of veterinary school, actually, and four years of undergrad without getting a parking ticket. And I want my record clean. And so like that stresses me out. And that is a weird stress point. I know, but I know that about myself. And like, (laughs) you're relying on the students to get you the information and stuff. And like, you don't always know. And I'm sure once you visit them, you know, you kind of get a feel for it. But like, that is stressful to me. (laughs) So I never even thought about that, but that would be stressful. Like it was stressful knowing where you could park as a student. Like I can't imagine just driving onto a campus being like, this looks good. Yeah. See? You're definitely going to get a ticket. The ways that you can park on vet school campuses. There <laughs> are passes. There are meters. Some only take coins. Some use apps. And then some don't do anything at all. But I guess my, talking about transferable skills. So my time in equine private practice where it's like, it's true. are you going to park on gravel road next to the barn or in this field really I think helped decrease things <laughs> <laughs> that's true you went to unfamiliar places like every day for your job that is yeah. uh that is a skill you know what else <laughs> is a skill that that I find very useful in this world of zoom meetings is brainstorming this is an actual skill like people don't realize that being able to sit in a virtual room or a real room and like throw ideas around um, and not be afraid to say things. I mean, it's a skill you can nurture and build. And part of the way you build it is by doing it because you realize like one of the biggest things I learned at my part-time job at Clinician's Brief because, okay, so I, I have to set the stage a little bit here because I was I joined as a contractor, but um, you know, then moved on to part-time uh, as an employee. But my job was to work in the sponsored content department. So we call it custom content. So we would be working a lot with industry partners, you know, like drug companies and food companies. And they would be, they would have paid for us to create some content, basically like advertorial content. But Clinician's Brief has very high standards and that advertorial content has to be just as relevant and accurate and important um, as the editorial content. 
And so I loved that because it was like a puzzle. But you also had to get on the phone with people from, you know, very major companies and say things like, I know we could do a quiz and then talk about like what that quiz would look like and how it would incorporate the material that they want to talk about. And it was so scary at first. Like those calls were so scary for me because I'm like, what do I know? You know, I don't know anything, but they didn't know that I felt that way. (laughs) And that's the key is like, any of these jobs, you're going to feel like a fish out of water at first because it's not a vet clinic, but you mm-hmm. felt that way in a vet clinic at the beginning too. That's right. And yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it gets better. Um, it really does get better. Yeah. So I want to make sure we hit on this because I, um, I I love that. So thank you for, for, for sharing that. And it kind of segues into what do we do? Yeah. Right. And <laughs> I remember my first day, like I, I sat in front of a computer I, you know, wasn't as busy. Like people, it was my first day. Like I didn't know what was going on. People didn't know I was there. You have like one email. Right. And so I'm like, what do I, what do I, you know, and and so then I'm thinking to myself, I've made the biggest mistake ever, like just, you know, (laughs) sitting here. And so, so my, for me, my day to, it's like, it's computer time, right? It's project work, it's emails, it's um, conversations where we're brainstorming and things like that. And I love all of it. If you would have told me that I was like, sitting in front of a computer doing these things or interacting with people um, like this, I, I would have been really surprised. But there there were many times, especially at the beginning, where I'd sit in a room and look around and be like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be in this room. And the very wise Dr. Kristen Woolner once said, she she shared that similar feeling, but she said, the, then I follow up with what can I do to make sure I feel like I belong? And like, you know, the steps you can take to prepare for those meetings and everything. So I, I, I don't, I think for me, my day-to-day a lot is is computer time, email time, like project work. And I, I will just add, I didn't know if I would ever go back to clinical practice. And I started dabbling in like some Saturdays here and there. And then in the pandemic, when I really felt like there were pets that needed to be seen, I, I'm trying to be more regular. Like I, I work at least if I can swing it with a schedule one to two Saturdays um, a week. And so I, I do want to also hit that, that you can blend your passions and you can figure out like, it was really nice for me to have some distance and to be like, yes, I, I actually love medicine. I actually miss this. And, you know, so for me, there's no surgery, so that's great. Um, So you can make it work for you. So I just wanted to throw that tidbit in there, but I want to make sure we talk about like what our, and no day is the same, right? Like, like today I have tons of meetings, you know, so there's not gonna be a lot of project work. Um, But it, that's kind of, those are the big buckets for me. So um, Katie, I imagine yours is fairly similar. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Um, there isn't a lot of travel with my job. In fact, there'd be almost no travel, but I like to go to conferences. I get a lot out of being there. And I do find that connections that I make and maintain um, with people in the industry are really, really valuable for my job. So I do love to go to conferences and I'm going to try to get to as many as I can. And AVMA is in Denver this year. So (laughs) I'm very excited about that because that's where I live. Um, So I will definitely hopefully see both of you there. But yes, um, for sure. So my day is I guess the only difference would be every day is a lot of meetings. (laughs) I have a lot of meetings Um, and I don't mind that. I actually really like that a lot of days because meetings give me structure. If I have to sit in front of a computer with like eight hours of free, quote unquote, free time to like work on projects or write, I 
I have a really hard time focusing for that long. Um, And I don't, I probably get as much done as I would get in a four hour block, um, you know, if I had to fit it in around other things. I think Um, that's well said. I need that, like, I need that pressure of the, of the meetings to like, make sure I'm getting and being productive in that time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it is a ton of, of being in front of the computer. And the hardest thing for me is um, turning it off at the end of the night, because I do, you know, end up with, if I have like six or eight meetings in a day, and then all of a sudden it's six o'clock at night and I'm like, oh, but I wanted to get that thing done. And then suddenly it's seven and I end up just pushing that boundary later and later. And it's interesting because I used to get so annoyed at the clinic because I would never get out on time because clinic. Um, and I would get so resentful about it. And I don't get resentful here because it's stuff that I'm doing because I I want to and have a hard time stopping working. And I think that doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy all the time, but I also am just really, really grateful to be in a position where I have to make myself stop working because I know it's good for me to stop, not because I just can't wait to be done at the end of the day. I'm excited to go to work every day. I'm a manager of a small team now. So I oversee our publications. So if you read like trends um, or uh, Newstat or Jaha, um, the people that make those things happen are on my team and all the graphic design that we see um, on the content team. And I love being a manager. Uh, I love helping people to solve problems. Um, Our AHA store, you know, we're going through some changes there and thinking about how to offer good things in the store. And that's part of my team as well. Um, And I I love that because it's problem solving in a different way. And it's this one-on-one communication versus sort of like big picture thinking. And I think I need both of those in order to be happy. And what happened in practice was it was very much that like it's you and this patient and this client. It's you and this patient and this client. It's you and this patient and this client. And I didn't have the big picture thing um, to balance that out. So I, I really like the balance of my job now and um, and getting to have conversations with people that I wouldn't otherwise get to, like you guys. Hey, Vet Med. I'm Jessica Sewell, and I'm a credential technician. We have a big problem. We're losing our people. Talented, knowledgeable trained, passionate people. And we're not just losing them from our practices, from our hospitals, we're losing them completely. They're going to different professions, but why are they leaving? And I have my thoughts and my ideas, and I'm sure you guys do too. So let's talk about it. Let's all collaborate, talk and work together to get these issues out and on the table. I love this profession more than anything in this world. And I love the people in it. And in my opinion, there's not a more exceptional group of people on the planet. I know you guys love it too. And I know there are people we've lost that still love it and maybe they'd be willing to come back. But we need change y'all. I get it, change does not happen fast, but the longer we resist it and the longer we continue doing things a certain way just because this is the way we've always done it, the more people we're gonna lose. And it's not a secret that we already have a critical shortage. But what if we all work together to make change, all of us, veterinarians, veterinary technicians, veterinary assistants, CSRs, practice managers, everyone. What if we all dedicated the same effort to helping our people and helping each other as we dedicate to taking care of our patients and their humans every single day? The Veterinary Visionary Storytelling event starts on February 14th. Talk about what made you fall in love with veterinary medicine. What made you fall out of love with it? Why are you still in this profession? What's keeping you from leaving? Are you even thinking about leaving? Let's talk about it, Vet Med. 
You can learn more at veterinaryvisionaries.org. I really want to hit on something you said, though, because I think it's very important. There is a definite truth to, you know, that 450 appointment coming in that you, mm-hmm. that's sick, you know, it's one thing whenever you feel forced to do it. I mean, like we all want to help the pets, right? I'm not trained. I don't want this to sound like we're ungrateful for that appointment, yeah. but there's a difference between if someone asked you if they can put that on your schedule and you say yes, or it being, you know, on there. And maybe that's the only time the person can, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to let, I, again, don't want to like make this a bad connotation, but there are some nights where you need to get off on time. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I think there's a big difference between forcing it and choosing it for yourself. You know, that's, I mean, that's what I have found the difference between like, I'm choosing to go back into the clinic. This is where I want to be um, on those Saturdays. And that's, that means I'm working six days that week, usually, Mm -hmm. you know, so it it is extra work or choosing to do that extra hour because like, I just enjoy it. And I, and I wanted to get this done today. Um, And again, it's not always the healthiest choice. Like sometimes you really do have to just close, (laughs) close the computer and you're done. Yeah. Sometimes Um, you're like, wait, when did I pee last? Yes. (laughs) That's not good. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, but it just just that mind that mindset. I Jen says it very eloquently in one of her presentations um, about well being of something like if you have to choose between a lot of emotions, always choose the one that's not resentment, because even if you'll be angry or or sad or something, but choose the one that's not resentment because resentment tends to fester. And I'll have to try to figure out what. I'm not getting it right off the top of my head, but um, Annie, I, your day today is much different. Uh, so do you want to walk us through like, what, what what your life is like sometimes? Uh, so, so yeah, so I do have the elements to, to tie some similarities. So I have the elements of meeting time and project work um, with the extra spice of traveling to campuses, um, both here in the U.S. and internationally as well. So I guess I maybe should describe a little bit of like the content of the student initiatives role too, because I, I, I do get some questions on that. So I would say primarily I am an advisor to our student AVMA or SAVMA chapters. So um, there are four of us total on the student initiatives team. Um, we've got our associate director, our program manager, and then there's there's two of me. Um, my lovely colleague, Dr. Lauren Rowe, uh, covers kind of the, the other part um, of the assistant director role. And so I'm visiting about 20 campuses each year that are in my region to um, meet the leaders of the SABMA chapters, to speak to the students on topics of their choosing that kind of supplement the curriculum. Um, And that, in terms of travel time in my day-to-day, I would say I'm going to a campus once a week, most weeks during the fall and spring semesters. So it's lighter travel during the, the summer and the winter uh, there are some conferences sprinkled in as well. So like like Katie said, so AVMA can mention in the summer too, but my heavy travel seasons are going to be fall and spring that coordinate with the student schedules as well. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I guess, again, I think that equine practice probably helped me prepare for that because it it, it doesn't bother me. Like I, I'll be taking calls from the airport or from the hotel room or trying to kind of fit things in, um, in transit, uh, which is, which is not a novel concept to me. And I think it's kind of a fun challenge most of the time too, to see, Oh, well, like what, where, what coffee shop can I stop at this place to try to get these emails <laughs> off or something like that. Um, but so in addition to being a, a SABMA advisor for the students, then I also work very closely with the chapter presidents, which 
I love. I think that kind of scratches that sort of like mentorship itch and then that like one-to-one interaction too. So the chapter presidents of SABA meet twice a year and they're student-run meetings and I provide the kind of administrative support there. So it's it's a fun kind of like coaching role. Uh, Katie, this just reminds me of when you talked about like thinking about different, like using your brain in different ways. Like the school visits are very different than the, the planning of the meetings. And then also in like, content creation I think you you get to do some of that as well and the the opportunity to exercise the kind of creative part of my brain is something Mm -hmm. that I'm very very grateful for um just love making powerpoints I'm gonna put it out there for the work (laughs) that I just do um I think and she's very good at it she's very good (laughs) well yeah I I don't I'm that's not that's not something I love (laughs) I recognize but, that I'm not a majority, but I, I feel like it's it, it's kind of like that translation thing. It's like a communication challenge for me of like, mm-hmm. how can I get this content in the way that's most well received by the audience and like maybe put some nice colors and pictures in there too. <laughs> like, um, so being able to exercise all those different parts of my brain keeps me energized and kind of keeps me on my toes. And so I really like that variety in my schedule as well. I love that you just sort of made this similar to like, we are in private practice and, and you're in ambulatory practice. Yeah, (laughs) I never made that association. So um, I love that. Yeah. Cause a lot of the jobs that are outside a clinic are still very travel heavy, like Mm -hmm. professional services, veterinarians and industry and, um, you know, field specialists and stuff like that. I mean, they're traveling all the time and um, that's cool too. Like some people really love that. And I, I don't think that I would do well with that um, I, because like I said, I, I like routine. Every day is different, but I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to be on a given day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then travels like this fun little spice to sprinkle on it like a few times a year versus a lot. Um, I, I like that balance myself, but um, it sounds like it is a really good fit for you. And somehow your mentor knew that, you know, when... <laughs> when that piece of paper slid across the table to you with the <laughs> with the endorsement that it would be potentially a really good fit. And you're right. Like that confidence that somebody you respect has that you would be able to do this job and would like it and be good at it goes a long, long way. And I can say, you know, having a mentor say, I have heard about this job that's available. You know, do you want me to put you in touch? Um, and think to ask me, you know, think to say, I think Katie might like that. Mm-hmm. And then call me up and say, I, I feel like this might be a good fit for you. That means so much to me. And I hope that I can pay that forward um, now because that was life-changing um, to twice, I guess. It it was life-changing for me. And, um, and I also want to clear some, like, like two things that I would like to clear up because I get these questions a lot. Or I should say, I hear the questions implied a fair bit. One is, um, it's just about who you know. And I, I do feel like, like we talked about, networking is very important in this industry in that these jobs are not, it's not that you see the jobs posted that commonly, right? Because people are happy in them. Like they're not, it's not like these jobs are going to be open every two years because people are really like them. And, um, and also because they get filled by people who are sort of moving up through that chain in the network um, when they are available. And so you have to put your name in the hat. Your name has to be somewhere near the hat 
for you to be able to to be available at the right time and know when the jobs are available. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't deserve them. If somebody calls you and says, Hey, that job's open again, do you, do you, do you want to apply or do you want me to put a good word in for you? That's not saying you're not qualified. That's saying that um, you've done the work to let people know that this is what you're looking for and you're out there and you've come to terms in your mind with potentially not working full-time in practice. And you might actually want to apply for these jobs. So putting yourself out there is not asking for something that you don't deserve. And a lot of us don't think we deserve things and we do. (laughs) It's like a common thing. I feel like we just think, you know, we have to go in and do the work in the clinic and then leave at the end of the day and that's it. Um, And you deserve other things if other things will make you happier. Um, And then the second thing is that people who are in industry or organizations or, you know, organized vet med, left because they couldn't hack it in the clinic. And no one's ever said this to my face, but I do think that there is a possibility that somebody might be saying, well, one of the themes that I hear is that a lot of the people who are working in these positions didn't love practice or didn't love it enough to stay. I think that sometimes that's true, but not loving life in practice does not correlate with how much you love the veterinary profession. And I, I think that's something that I only realized after I started to work outside the clinic was that you can love this profession as much or even more in a different position because we all have something to give. And sometimes you can give more of yourself and in a more appropriate way if you're not seeing patients every day. That just might not be the way that you're meant to give back to the profession. And um, and I think that's really just an important thing to clear up because those are conceptions that I had, I think, for a while is it's all about who you know. And if you left clinical practice, you couldn't hack it. And it's just not the case. Mm, Yeah. I think those are great points that as we sort of wrap up here to kind of, hopefully, hopefully this has been helpful to people and to understand that it, I, I, it is, I think we get those same themes too, that, you know, you you have to know the right people and you don't, you don't have to, but certainly the more, you know, the, the more you just have insights into what is going to be open. And mm-hmm. again, you, so you can throw your name in there. Um, and if you don't, if you don't find the right fit the first time, just keep trying. And cause you learn more about yourself each time too. Exactly. Um, and I, I mean, and you, you don't know, like you may find your way back to clinical medicine and if you don't, that's okay too. This profession mm-hmm. needs all of us um, yeah. and needs us all in different ways. It needs our um, knowledge. It needs our passion. It needs our kindness and our care. So um, this has been really fun for me. Uh, yeah. and I really enjoyed chatting with all of you. So, so thank you both so much for being so open with your stories and time. Thank you. This has been super fun. Um, And I love hearing about how other people got to be behind the Zoom screen where I'm looking at them because we all have such variable stories. And um, I just love that. It brings a whole new dimension to vet med for me. For sure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.